they slayed another one. Which week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Mitch. Hello, hello. And Mitch only, which, you know, for long-time listeners and ourselves is unusual. We've done, I don't know, like 120 episodes or something of this show. And Liam has been on all of them. And he's not here. And Mitch, the weird thing is we don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about my track record either. Let's uh, let's just quickly right. gloss yeah. over that part. Well, your but- yours is justifiably spotty, right? This is like Oh yes. We haven't heard from Leah. Like we don't know where he is. We don't know what he's doing. Yeah, for all we know, he could be in a lake under the Parisian Opera. For all, he could be, and we just don't know what happened. And I mean, you know, God willing, fingers crossed, he's all right. But we're doing we're we're into the unknown a little bit here. We're doing an episode without uh without. Le- Do not worry, that was the plan. Do not talk about Liam. Everything is fine. Do not look into this further. Everything is fine. Hang on, Mitch. Did you did you hear that? I thought I might have. It was just this like what the gravelly fuck? voice, like it almost digitized. Um, I I think we should should we I think we should do what it says. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're gonna stop talking about Liam and just sort of move on. Yeah, I don't know who's calling this. Who's calling the? Whose show is this? I don't know. I mean, you know. Based on the movie choice, I think it might be yours, but it seems like we might have a bigger problem on our hands. <laughs> I think so. I think <laughs> then, so. Then going back an entire fucking century, which we'll get to in a moment. I said move on. Get to the film. Get to the Phantom. Okay, hold, hang on. Did you? It happened again. Is You're right, it me? did. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm, not, okay. I'm certainly not in cahoots. Like, if you think that the today's movie choice has anything to do with that, I mean, forget it, Buster. I mean, I don't know. You got really defensive real fast. It's in my nature. That. It's in it, my is, nature. it is weirdly apropos that this podcast would be fucking haunted. Um, I guess. I don't know. I don't have the energy anymore for this. Um, <laughs> and I had to summon the energy, Mitch, to talk about a movie that is nearly a hundred goddamn years old. Almost there. Just just four more years. This is the most Mitch pick we could possibly do. I'm sure you're very proud of yourself. Oh, I'm so pleased. I, I just like put it into the chat and I was like, We're we're doing this and then it just snuck by like like nobody even <sighs> said like should we be doing this? Like no I was expecting at least like some questions or some some justification for for putting on like an ancient movie but nobody even questioned it and it it got past the censors it was kind of like how how like i don't know so many of fellini's movies just snuck past the conservative italian film censors like how did it happen without any just like that that exact thing everyone knows about (laughs) hey you know what like i like contemporary things too i've I've, i'm watching squid game right now oh well the rest of the world (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look at me. I like I like modern things. I've heard of Netflix. <laughs> yes, I'm watching it on the Netflix. Man, you know, I I genuinely can't shake the feeling. I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to push our luck here, but it does seem weird that you know, on an episode where something seems off, this is the movie that we're doing. But I won't tempt fate. You know, I want to live to the end of Spooktober. I've, you know, we just did Candyman. I'm not going to say, you know, spooky voice five times in a row and fucking <laughs> fuck around and find out. I don't want to do that. Um, but what I am going to say is just so for anybody who doesn't know, um, 1925, right? Uh, that does mean that this is a silent film. <laughs> There's no, people aren't talking. This is not a talkie. We're not there yet. Just sort of in the, in the history of cinema. So, this is almost comedically uncharted territory for this show. Um, we are very far removed from your, you know, horror franchise remakes and shitty comedies and fucking whatever else we, we end up slogging through half of the year. Um, 
This is some grab your grandpa and eat a Werther's on the couch ancient cinema that we're getting to here. Um, And I got to be honest with you, Mitch. I don't know. I don't know shit here. I, I did study film, you know, like on an academic level for several years. In that time, I do not think I watched a single feature length silent film. I've seen some shorts. I can't believe that. I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's almost like a different medium, though, at the same time. Silent film. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, this is like, this feels like, um, like a crash course in appreciating something completely different mm-hmm. than a talkie, if you will, or <laughs> those um, newfangled things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe they're letting the actors say the words now? I always liked reading it at my own pace. Yeah. Uh, I've got to bring a script in my lap like some kind of lackey. I feel like Norma Desmond. Great. Um, Yeah. That's a joke that's landing with everybody here. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. (laughs) So um, what I'm going to do, as I feel is only appropriate, is um, I'm going to give the cast, I'm going to give a quick crew rundown, gonna tell people what the phantom of the opera is about if they don't know and then i'm gonna sort of you know give it over to the professor if yeah, you how, how could you not know what phantom of the opera is about just about like because we're just living and being alive for the last like you know okay so couple bitch, of years. do you want me to say something sorry I yeah go ahead go i ahead. didn't know what the fuck phantom of the opera was about <laughs> for real i'd never seen it no i'd never seen any adaptation of it I, that's I knew wild some, i knew There's... somebody was haunting an opera that was about it though there's like a dozen of them and then there's like yeah. spoofs and parodies and the andrew lloyd weber's musical and yeah i just i missed the boat on that okay i was too busy watching ghoulies i guess <laughs> just you know did not get this substantial piece of culture um but you know who did rupert julian the yeah, director of the film <laughs> he sure um, did also uh depending on where you look there are boatloads of uncredited credits <laughs> for various different positions on the production of this film. Th- there is uh, a reason for that. Um, I'm, but, okay, so yeah. hold your horses there, Chief, because you know people still care about horse racing. It's the 20s. Um, <laughs> uncredited directors include Lon Chaney, Ernst Lamell, and Edward Sedgwick. It's pronounced, it's, pronounced, it's pronounced Lamley. The Lamleys are like a Hollywood dynasty. They formed Universal Studios. Universal Studios, yeah, in 1912. Um, and then, so we've got 600 writers to get through quick. Uh, we've got Gaston LaRue, who I guess wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And then, the, I'm just going to rattle these off. Walter Anthony, Elliot J. Clausen, Bernard McConville, Frank M. McCormack, Tom Reed, Raymond L. Schrock, Richard Wallace, and Jasper Spearing. Holy 1920s names. Jesus Christ. <laughs> somebody somebody get me the rewrites and Jasper Spearing. I knew that was the one you were going to go with because it's the, absolutely the funniest there. It is. <laughs> my my dog, my neighbor's dog's name was Jasper. Get me Spearing. Name. I need him stat. <laughs> this script's mm. a pile of garbage. We're going to get made fun of at the big premiere. <laughs> Jasper, darling, I'll have the ashtray and a punch in the chin. <laughs> Jasper Spearing sounds like the name of a guy in Barton Fink, like deleted yeah. scenes, <laughs> which <laughs> I know is a little bit later, but bear with me. We need that Jasper Spearing uh, feeling. feeling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the cast, uh, I'm going to do the short version because otherwise we'll be here all day. There's a lot of uncredited actors that I'm going to leave out and I apologize for that. Uh, no. But let's, let's keep it clean here. We got, we got Lon Chaney as the Phantom. The not man of be, a thousand faces. Not to be confused with Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, to, well, that was his yeah, son. Yeah. We've got Mary Philbin as Christine Day. <laughs> Die. I don't know how to say it. I'm Day. sorry. I'm not French. Uh, we've got Norman Carey as Victor Raoul de Cagney. Sure. I'm assuming it's not Chagney, so we'll go with that. Chagney. Um, Arthur Edmund. Oh, what the fuck? Arthur Edmund Carew? Carew. Carew. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. 
uh, Gibson Goland, John <laughs> St. Police. <laughs> no, the next, the best name is yet to come. Oh, I see Snitz it. Edwards. <laughs> Snitz Edwards, that's your the record, folks. Do not adjust your television set. That is not a haunted voice in your podcast. I just said Snitz, S-N-I-T-Z, Edwards. And not to be outdone, his character's name is Florine Papillon. Snitz sounds like a derogatory term. It really does. (laughs) Um, And then we've got Mary Fabian and Virginia Pearson both playing Carlotta at different points. And Virginia Pearson also playing Carlotta's mother. Mitch, what the fuck are we... What happened? What did we watch? Hang on. I have the funniest quote yet. Hold on. Hold your horses. The po- There is a poster for this movie that says uh, Carl Lamley. Is that right? Lamley, yeah. Presents Lon Chaney, Norman Carey, Mary Philbin, and 5,000 others in the Phantom of the Opera. Well, it, it was massively... <laughs> it was massively expensive. Like a... Oh, you can tell, but that's the yeah. funniest credit any movie has ever had. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. All right, so what do we got? So, uh, where to begin? I mean, like, well, we'll, like, backpedal a little bit to, like, 1923, right? Um, <laughs> of course. We'll go to 1912, actually. Sure. Um, so, like, that's when Carl Lemley formed Universal Studios. Um, and... After a while, like they started making movies, but it was a B studio out in like the early twenties in those days. And by about like twenty-three or so, then they started really trying to produce epics, because that's when a fellow by the name of Irving Thalberg became head of the studios. I don't know if you've ever heard about him. I don't think I have. He's he's like one of the most influential uh like studio heads of all time. He died quite young. Um kind of a controversial cat. Uh, a lot of people loved him, a lot of people hated him. Um, but love him or hate him, like he was a, he knew the the business and definitely like set a lot of things in motion that like we still see in our day in our films today. And like, he had a real eye for like spectacle. He was a showman. Um, and so they made in 1923, the hunchback of Notre Dame, which also starred Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces and kind of a grotesque performance. He plays Quasimodo. Um, and, uh, Actually, we see the, the the they built this fantastic set and village, and we see actually that church and that set like come back in this film in the final sequence, like the chase sequence. Right. I'm getting ahead of myself though. Um, after that, they what they were like, you know, this was a great success. We should try and make another movie. And so Carl Lemley is between like between productions, and he's like, "What are we gonna do? This this previous sort of gothic tale that we just did was a smash success." I want to do Phantom of the Opera. And he goes to Paris and he goes to the opera house in Paris and he meets with the author of the, uh, of the book, uh, Gaston LaRue, who wrote the, the, the story in 1910. And they're touring Paris and they go in the opera house and Lemley at first is like, that's it. I'm going to film in the opera house. Like I'm going to film in the Paris opera house. And that was his plan. But then he realized how expensive that plan would be after a while. And it wasn't really viable. So if they couldn't go to Paris, they would bring Paris to them. And so they, they built this enormous set in, on stage 28 uh, of Universal Studios where they actually rebuilt like the Paris Opera. And that set st- stood there for 90 years at Universal Studios. And it was actually just teared down and torn down in uh, 2014, which was a, you know, a major loss. But uh, so that's kind of like where it started and they, they, they got the thing going. Um, and in many ways it kind of informs like what universal horror would look like. Cause it was one of the first sort of successful ones. And you're followed by films like Dracula and 1931 and Frankenstein and the mummy and all the Wolfman, this great string of universal horror that was massively influential. And it kind of dates back to this movie. Um, so, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, like German expressionism and stuff was very popular at the time. And uh, there was a... I, I'm off to tell a man about a cabinet. Yeah. yeah. The cabinet <laughs> of Dr. Caligari. Well, it's the only out... one I can name drop, so I have to get it out of yeah, the way. That came out 20 years earlier. Uh, or, or, sorry, five years earlier uh, in 1920. And uh, so it was out a bit earlier. And 
you really have like this sort of European production in America. Like the the sets were done by a Frenchman. I don't remember his name, but he had knew what like the undercroft of the Paris opera looked like. So he could recreate everything like fairly faithfully. Like the sets, they're 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 apparently very similar to what it used to look like in those old days. Um yeah, and there actually is a lake under the under the Paris opera. I don't know if you've know that or if you've been there. Um, uh, no, I've never. I've been to the city, but not that particular place, and I did not know there was actually water under it. Yeah, there's a lake under there, which was used for like fighting fires, and apparently they found a corpse under there at one point, and so that was like the inspiration for. Is it an know. artificial lake, or did they just? No, it's a. It's built like a on ca- top of a lake. I believe they just built on top of it, and they, with the intent that if they were building here, they wanted to have like a source to water to put out a fire if it happened, because many of like the great opera houses burned down in the late 19th century across Europe, because um, they were made out of wood. Right. So yeah, yeah, like uh, it's it's very like an authentic recreation of the opera house, and uh, yeah, like the <laughs> the director really went to bat for um for Lon Chaney. Like he said, if it's not if it's not Chaney, we're not gonna do it. Uh, so uh, well, he pretty much seems yeah. like the guy you get for this kind of thing. You know? Well, what I mean? yeah, like, he was he was known for kind of those like those sort of physically intense roles. He did his own makeup uh famously so like when you see him in this movie he's that he did it himself he he had like his kit and uh yeah he was beloved for that oh sorry the, the french uh, art director i mentioned his name was ben carnet so essentially you have an american production with sets built by an englishman and sketches by a frenchman and then sort of this german expressionism sensibility in the movie so it's a very like a european sort of melting pot of sensibilities and this uh, great sort of American Gothic Hollywood Gothic horror, and it would become the template for for things to come for them. So that's my spiel. Um, <laughs> that's what I got. There you go. Okay, so you know we're really you know kind of in the weeds here, relatively speaking. And um, I guess what I want to ask first, actually, is like, so how did you come upon this movie in the first place? Because uh, I. Uh, I had never seen it. As a matter of fact, though, I had seen the like phantom face reveal shot because yeah. it used to run in a commercial on TV for a movie channel. Mm-hmm. And I had seen that for years and I didn't know what it was actually from until literally watching it this and being like, oh, it's that. It's the guy. Yeah. There he is. There's the there's the man. There's Lon Chaney. <laughs> uh, how did I come across it? I. I yeah. like have seen all the early universal horrors because that's something that I'm like massively into is like the I guess like the genesis of horror as we know it and and like all those sort of great films from the 30s that were allow me up. to ask a vital question yeah, yeah, yeah which uh language Dracula film is superior uh I think that the the one from well they're both from like 31 there's the Spanish one and the yeah. English one Spanish one was shot after hours um but it doesn't have the charm of Bella Lugosi. It does, however, have a much better camera crew. So, I mean, you're sacrificing you're like an iconic, charismatic performance that has come to, you know, personify what we understand as vampires today in cinema or like good camera work. And I'm going to pick the characterization because it's still like 30s camera work. So, yeah, it can be good. It can be like I, I, I have an appreciation for that kind of thing. We've but, all seen Wings. <laughs> yeah, but I think... Uh, <laughs> I think this one's better. I am truly attempting to reference the only uh, older films I am confident I will get the reference correct on. That is my whole thing right now. Um, (laughs) That's all I can do. Um, I actually did a, in an eighth grade drama class, I did a project about Bela Lugosi. Yeah, he was an interesting man. I mean, he was one of the first, I mean, he was a, he was a cavalier in uh, like the Austrian, army in world war one and was grievously wounded and then like had a morphine addiction for the rest of his life because of that wound and he was one of the first celebrities to kind of come out and start talking frankly about drug addiction and stars and, and, and people and how it can be really debilitating before that nobody did that so he was a really interesting man yeah totally so we've got a lot going on here so you you were just sort of like this was your beat you knew you liked this stuff and you eventually just got to this movie. Yeah. I ask in part because I've watched you watch this movie multiple times. 
Yes, uh, I've seen I've seen this movie many times. I had I really I've love walked it. into living rooms when we lived together, and you would just have it on. You'd be yeah. like, "Dude, this is sick as fuck." And I'd be like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> and now I finally got you to watch it. It only took years later. But, it only you know. took it like like three additional years or something, four extra years. Yes. But I will have my way. I will have my revenge. Yeah. So, I mean, also, I w- there was a while where I went through Ebert's, like, sort of best movies or whatever, or, like, uh, what, what does he call them? Uh, great, his great movies list. And uh, this movie is on there with a, you know, four-star rating. So I think I, I maybe came across it that way, and I was, like, working a boring job at the time and just reading his reviews, and I, I sought this one out. But I had also been on a big kick of... Uh, of universal horror as well right cool um yeah so for anybody who doesn't know uh what the phantom of the opera is about uh if you're like me and just sort of assume that there's a vaguely haunted opera um there is we're we're at the paris opera house and they're putting on some operas as as you are wont to do. They're putting on they're putting on Faust of all operas. Like they're the, putting you know, on Faust. Little Christopher Marlowe, little uh, tempting the devil, you know, ominous. Works really yeah. nice. And um yeah, everybody knows that. And so at the beginning of the movie, the 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 opera changes ownership. And as the as the old owners are leaving, they're like, Hey, do you know this place was haunted? And the new guys are like, What? They're like, Yeah, there's this guy. There's a phantom in the opera if you do, if you catch you, my drift. You may by chance hear of a phantom of the opera. That's like my favorite title kind of the whole movie. Just it's like, so funny. Ah, like, by chance, you might hear about him. Yeah, so there's this guy who sits in a box in a booth or whatever and uh, freaks people out, I guess, because he doesn't say anything and he's real ominous. And meantime, we've got uh, two other characters. We've got Christine and Raul, and they might be in love. It's we're sort of feeling that out, but what we discover is that somebody is speaking in Christine's ear, trying to get uh you know like they're like I'll give you fame you'll get to sing the lead you're gonna get A it shadow. all um but you can't talk to Raul anymore uh and also follow me through this weird mirror I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit but bear with me um and so we discover that there is there is a man <laughs> there is a phantom. His name. His name's Eric. Actually, there's a dude named Eric. And he, <laughs> yeah, let's let's not let's not give him too much pomp here. There's a dude named Eric who lives under the Paris Opera House, and he's an incel. And yeah, he, huge, huge incel, <laughs> gigantic incel energy, and he sort of coerces Christine into his clutches and is like, hey. You have to be with me and love me forever because I get bullied so much for being ugly that I hate people. And um, earlier in the movie, uh, it's worth mentioning that when uh, Carlotta, another singer, goes against his wishes of letting Christine get up in there, uh, he drops a chandelier on the crowd and a bunch of people probably died. So uh, he's not exactly an extremely sympathetic individual. Um and uh, the Raul and a secret policeman need to go rescue Christine from Eric. <laughs> that's more and or less mean, the gist Meanwhile, of it. He, he kills some guys, and then an angry mob gets brewing. And then, and of then... course, there's an angry mob. It was it was 1925. This is what we did in that in those days. Well, a good pastime, I guess. In those days, <laughs> nowadays, hey, I'm not hey, so fellas, sure. Hey, fellas, I was thinking about having an angry mob. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys feeling kind of angry today? I was thinking we could maybe get together and go on the town and be angry together. <laughs> go have a bit of a... I don't know if you've heard about this Eric guy. He's a real piece of shit. I was thinking about having a bit of an angry mob. Maybe we throw him into the river. <laughs> I think maybe a couple of us should fall into the river and then we throw him into the river. Yeah. Um, And obviously uh, the story is told through you know the visuals and the music and inner titles because... Again, silent film. And uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, I, I got kind of sidetracked uh, reading the crew stuff. I've left out a few usuals. Um, cinematography, Milton Brittenbecker, Virgil Miller, and Charles Van Enger. Editors include Edward Curtis, Maurice Pivar, Gilmore Walker, and Lois Weber. And 
the music well you know who the music's by because i think there's more than one music cut well yeah so pretty much like with silent films you find that oftentimes you know just the same way that people colorize old movies and they released in different ways in the case of silent films you'll find different scores done by people and many high profile composers do it in this case we're watching the one with the score by gabriel uh, thibodeau who's based out of montreal and he's scored a few other movies um uh, and he he actually plays an accompaniment to this movie at a theater in montreal the name escapes me but um yeah it's an extraordinary score i think and i've seen many different scores in this particular movie and i think thibodeau's is by far the strongest yeah i think the only movie i know i've seen that i've seen more than one cut of or with with more than one score of is uh metropolis yeah you're gonna see that with metropolis because i've i've i sought out the marauder one (laughs) i was like i need to hear that shit (laughs) marauders is marauders is great or i mean philip glass was supposed to do like a philly g a whole bunch of the universal horrors i think he was originally planning on doing this one in the wolfman and the mummy and frankenstein but in the end he just did dracula in 1931 and if you can track down the particular cut for that he does it with a string quartet it's extraordinary um that's but that's sick. that's an early sound cut and then again this particular movie was also recut in 1934 sound because it was just like massively... oh, like they dubbed it yeah Ew. Uh, <laughs> yeah i have not i have not been able to track that one down but apparently it happened um horrible yeah. i don't i don't support that for the no. record folks this movie is also public domain so you can go watch it basically fucking anywhere <laughs> oh yeah it's like it's anywhere <laughs> and uh for the better for it really i think i think it's just the fact that it's so accessible and it's it's such a remarkable historical document i mean the the guy who made this movie was born in 1879 and it's like how what does somebody born in 1879 do with the filmic medium and like how do you even conceptualize that it's it's an interesting and entertaining what he does is he directs a movie called the cat creeps (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I actually Which have is not such seen a that. Funny title, holy but it, shit! That's that's like a really celebrated one, I, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, Rupert Rupert Julian, interesting guy because he was a you know an actor and a director. He acted in lots of his own movies. I think he played the Kaiser at one point. I'm not sure. Rupert Julian acted in these ninety five films, according to this yeah. particular Wikipedia page. He did. He did play the Kaiser. Uh, he was kind of an iconoclastic dude. Um, notoriously a bit difficult to work with as so many of the greats are and that is why he was replaced by Ernst Lemley in the end you have to remember that like I said like in in the earlier days Lemley Studios was kind of um, a bit of a more rough and tumble and it employed roughly 70 members of the Lemley family so it was like you know they kept the (laughs) They kept the biz in the family mind you they gave the studio head to Irving Thalberg at the age of 21 he was the studio head Jesus Christ and he wasn't in the family. But beyond that, they hired about 70 people. And so they just said, you know, to hell with you, Julian. You're being too difficult. We'll have these guys film the mob sequence at the end and a few others. Um, but yeah. Okay, so I think it's time. I got to know two things. I, I know we got to build a little bit of suspense here. I'm the wild card, of course. But you're also the I- only other card because <laughs> it's just two of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, how was it revisiting this flick for you? Um, I was nervous when I threw it in, right? Because I mean, I hadn't I hadn't seen it in a few years, and I, I used to really love silent movies, and I watched quite a lot of them. I haven't seen one in a few years, and I'm like, you know, did I only like silent films because I was like younger and pretentious, or like I hadn't I hadn't? <laughs> that's the risk, right? <laughs> yeah, that that's the risk, right? So you revisit these things, and I think it holds up. I think it's it's a wonderful movie, and I I still really love it. Uh, it's it's the perfect blending of horror and fantasy and kind of mythology. It's a very faithful adaptation of the novel. I'm told. I haven't like read all of it. I've read some of it, but um, I I thought it was I thought it was like wonderful seeing it again. And I think it's it's really uh, touching to me that like a a piece of art can survive and not only survive, but like still be effective after almost a hundred years and the spectacle can still be dazzling and the optical illusions and the tricks and the lighting, it it still can evoke like a a creepy and eerie mood. And because of its age, sometimes it's like spookier than I think it might've been then. Like, I I don't know. Um, Old creepy things. (laughs) It's funny because you have that on the one hand and then the other hand, you have like reports that like his makeup at the reveal, like made people faint and shit. 
yeah, in the, the train, audience. The train pulling into the station vibe, you know? Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> like, we look at it now, and I gotta be honest, like, I, this is in no way a knock against it, but the big reveal made me laugh really hard. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a it's a very funny presentation to me. I'm just like ah, like he's got like this big open mouth and his big eyes, and she's all like, whoa. <laughs> it is it is great makeup though. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Like I'm not taking that away from it yeah. at all, but just like the way it's presented. As we said, I haven't I don't have a lot of experience with silent films, and um, mm. what I'll say about my experience with this is um, <laughs> um, I do think it's a good movie i do think some of it is still effective and it's cool to see this however i did struggle keeping up with it not keeping up with it not like i wasn't confused i don't know how to articulate it but um like you said it's a it's just a different thing a different medium than, almost. yeah than yeah the vast 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 majority of movies i'm used to watching mm-hmm. and that sometimes was a bit a bit of a difficult thing for yeah. me to get around i think in especially in, in like how the performances work because things have to be communicated you know like visually and, and like physically a lot more mm-hmm. and so it's heightened in a way to communicate those things but at points as I mentioned like to me some of it's just kind of goofy oh for Um, sure for sure and like that that makes me struggle to meet the movie where it is because Uh it's been a hundred years and i'm not accustomed to that uh like overall like there's stuff i definitely like about it it's cool like um i haven't seen a ton of movies that do like the alternating coloring which I think is effective. Well, most silence, most silence did that. Like where they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. there's a, there's a word for it where they, they colored each frame and yeah, uh, well not colored the frame, but like the frames would be a different like hue. Yeah. Um, I've heard the term too. I don't know what it is. But, I, remember, um, I don't know what it's called, but like red for passion or violence and green for, you know, whatever yeah. blue for night for the uh, green for the matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's when the phantom goes to the matrix. Uh. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this is, it's kind of what I was worried about because like I enjoyed it, but also at the end I was kind of like, and I'm done and the movie can end now. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It is an hour and 40 minutes. It's a, or an hour and a half. Like it's a, it's a, it's a longer runtime. And you know, a, a silent movie kind of requires your undivided attention, especially like a silent drama. If it's slapstick or something, you can, you know, take your time with it. But, um, if you're watching something like this, that's like narrative and sort of spooky, it's going to, it's going to require you to watch to see what's going on. Otherwise there's no other way to inform you of what is happening. Yeah. Like, but like these sets are fucking crazy. They're magnificent. Like they're, uh, the, the fact that they were torn down is, is a travesty. Um, but yeah, the, the sets are, are, uh, exquisite. Uh, and the number of extras that they have in there is, is wild yeah like um, and i i loved watching like all those all the dancers like run around the cellars and they're just like giant sets for other operas they're not doing just kind of hanging around yeah and everybody's well, just all, the ballerinas and they get they're so freaked out that like they're just doing pirouettes while standing in a group just like out of fear i don't know like shit like that where i'm just like okay movie like what are we doing yeah, it is. It is really amusing. But I mean, like I said, it was it was <laughs> it was Ben Carnet who who had been to the Undercroft of like the of like the Parisian Opera, which is a very old building, and he was very familiar with what they looked like and sort of faithfully recreated. Like you know the sequence where they they ride the horse down to the Undercroft, and it's it's yeah. very spooky and you see that thing that almost looks like a grids like system or um yeah i like that shot like having the because like obviously like you said like the camera work sometimes it's a bit more simple by virtue of necessity but like seeing people have to move through space in lieu of moving the camera through space Mm -hmm. i like yeah although like with with that being said that the camera work is like quote unquote like simple like there's also like some really fucking elaborate things going on here as well. Yeah, like I, I when I say simple, I mean like if you, if you just put it in front of somebody, they might not go like somebody who doesn't like know what to look for. Yeah, might just be like that's yep, that's what that's a movie. 
I, I've seen that before. I'm sure mm. these things took an overwhelming amount of effort to like get right um, and get to look the way they do. But yeah, the thing that's tough for me, and this is something that we talked about before we watched this, is like, I don't feel like I know how to talk about this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I I can think of some stuff that I know I liked and thought was cool or interesting. Um, but like my overall take is just like, this is very much like I've seen silent film before, just not feature. So like, this is me sort of like dipping a toe into something Mm -hmm. else. Uh, like, I don't know, studying something a little bit and then like actually just sitting down and interfacing with it. It's kind of a different thing. Um, so like, I don't know. I, I'm not prepared to give a ton of critique because it could be me as much as it's the movie. Like I was bored sometimes and I, it did start to feel a little long in the tooth and it's like, that could as much be me actually identifying an issue with the film as it is. I'm not used to this. You know what I mean? That's fair. No, I do. I do think some of it's a bit long in the tooth, especially sort of like the melodrama as it moves to moves towards the last act. Like when they're, uh, stuck in Eric's sort of like heat chamber and they're using, um, and it just keeps going (laughs) and it just keeps going. And like the, the melodrama is building, but not going anywhere. Um, and, and I, it's I think, like, what if you got out of a heat chamber and we put you in a flooding room? <laughs> yeah, like, th- technically, it's very cool. Um, yeah, and so, I'm sure it was, like, it was a difficult thing to get to work. And I'm sure it was, like, thrilling and horrifying back in the day. But the thing is, is that, you know, uh, there's nothing, like, particularly um, interesting about, like, a the action sequences from this period, unless it's, like, comic action, like Buster Keaton, I find often doesn't really hold up that well or it's been done better later i think it's like the success of this movie is in its success and how it sort of builds like a fanciful vibe but if you're looking for like the melodrama and like the particularly like the melodramatic action sequences i think you might want to look somewhere else but if you're looking for like a ghostly old spooky vibe with um just like a lavish production and some really extraordinary makeup and just like an interesting silent movie. If you're looking at a place to get in, I'd say this is a good one. Uh, I'd say it's pretty accessible. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading here, by the way, um, that the sound version of this movie is apparently a lost film. Okay. So we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> there are some soundtrack discs around apparently, but the film itself burned in a fire in 1948. That's sad. So I guess, I guess like the that was after the the next sound version I think in 43 with Claude Rains which is a decent adaptation but not my favorite by a long shot. Um also uh I'm just reading here that apparently in the novel um they say so in the movie they say he's from a place called Devil's Island uh and is an expert in witchcraft basically. Yeah. Uh, I'm apparently in the book they just say he studied in Persia. Yeah. Well, wow, that's racist. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, in the book they just uh, <laughs> yeah, I just studied in Persia. But, oh my uh, god. <laughs> you know, in this film, we have to turn him into kind of uh, you know, like a well, of like course, a supernatural went, a villain. Thing. He went yeah. to he look at it. He went to this legendary penal colony off the coast of French Guiana, and uh, he studied the black arts, by the way. And did we mention that he's, you know. And also he's and deformed think, and it's 1925 so we think that makes you a bad person yeah it's interesting because again like the the film that preceded this was the hunchback of notre dame in 1923 quasimodo sort of again a famously sort of deformed character that is maligned by by purely by his like deformities in society not accepting him like i don't think phantom of the opera would go down and like in in 2021 if somebody was releasing this as like an original story because like our culture i think is generally more accepting yeah well yeah like yeah your framing device can't be look at this guy he looks so fucked up that's weird like he likes he likes music but like we don't want to see like but like fucking look at him gross like yeah you just can't do that like i don't know people exist and have the same fucking level of humanity regardless of all kinds of different things that the human body can and can't do so it is kind of interesting going back and being like you know this dude sucks because like his personality sucks like his yeah. whole framing is like i'm such a nice guy I, I uh 
I, I brought you this and that. I made you the singer. Now you have to love me forever because I think your purity is hot. Like that's his whole energy. That's, that's his uh, energy, which is so not good. Like, he he sucks regardless of his yeah. how he looks. Um, but yeah, it is. And th- again, that's what makes the big reveal to me kind of hilarious in its own yeah. right. Is like he just looks. He looks very silly. Yeah, he's doing I mean, like it, a big like it's he's, it's. it's <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you say that though, because like what we're t- on the subject of the sort of like the deformity. I mean, a lot of people at the time wrote that the mask that his character is wearing bore a striking resemblance to what like World War One veterans wore after the war. For you know, if their face was wounded, they would wear like a a uh, a mask over over a portion of their face. And uh, so, a lot of people, even critics at the time, like made that sort of. Uh, connection and in post-world war one art we kind of see like a fixation on um uh distorted shapes and distorted people and sort of surrealism and uh, an emphasis on quote unquote the the grotesque and you see the the arrival of like data dadism and other sort of um yeah, and cube, and take, cubism and sort of take the reality of the war and like try to make sense yeah. of what it does to and s- understandable things Mm -hmm. and so like people made that that connection to like i guess what was contemporary then um like with like the realities of what like soldiers were facing having to come home from war and and you know be and have to live with deformities from that so kind of interesting but even so they they take that sort of conventional path of being like deformed bad like phantom bad i will say uh (laughs) The outfit that he rocks to the masquerade red yes. death look is so fucking tight. Mm-hmm. It and that, looks so fucking cool. That like skull face and the big like fucking conquistador look, basically. Yeah. Well, he's actually he's dressed as the mask of the red death, like the fa- yeah. I think I think it's Edgar Allan Poe. But it's sick as fuck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So again, like more sort of classic gothic horror tradition within this work of gothic horror it's it's great and again that sequence is shot in two strip technicolor along with a few other uh sequences so it's it's weird because you have like this movie that is black and white albeit there's like coloring of the stills and then you've got two strip technicolor sequences like right in the middle of the movie so kind of interesting and, and, and cool to see that yeah and it's also interesting like if you look at like i'm on the wikipedia page and stuff but like differences in like like you could watch two different cuts of this movie and have like a completely different experience of watching it because like literally like the titles are different, like mm-hmm. the presence or lack of color. Like this is just one kind of look at this. Yeah. And yeah, like I I I generally enjoyed it. Um some of it, like I said, plays kind of silly to my twenty twenty one sensibilities, I suppose. But um it's it's a fascinating relic that still lands as like an interesting movie if not an effective yeah horror film for you know current audiences it's it's interesting that you also touch on the fact that there's like so many different versions that exist because like silent film was like incredibly exportable right because you didn't have to worry about languages you just ship it around the world and put on whatever language you needed for subtitling i mean that's why america wasn't like the center of movie production until about the time that this movie came out like until about like the you know the 20s but throughout like the earlier silent period you saw countries in europe and sort of nordic countries having much stronger outputs for putting out movies than america did hollywood was just like a a a desert town um in, in these days until it started really ramping up in the in the in the 20s so there's so many different versions and you know once the the silent era ended movies suddenly became much less exportable and you had to worry about languages and dubbing and um so this movie became like a global sensation because it was so exportable and that's one of the things that's interesting about you know visual storytelling and being able to tell a story without a language and just purely distilling it down to the visual medium i think is like there's not that many title cards in this movie um, they do do some of the heavy lifting with like the, no. the yeah. The there's not an scene. overwhelming amount at all. I mean, some of the notes. I think that's also interesting. You don't see that in movies where people have handwritten notes. Yeah, uh, and you're given just like and and here's all the time you need to read this. Here's 35 seconds. Yeah, and it, just, just really soak it in. 
and it's kind of like tricky because we don't really we're not really used to reading handwriting like this so i i like i paused it for one of them i was like what the i, fuck pa- is- I paused it more than yeah. one. yeah yeah, yeah. what I'm the fuck is this that. word yeah i mean i've seen it enough times now that i don't have to but um yeah <laughs> Uh, I got slightly distracted by a Wikipedia page here because it's listed in a book called A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Um, I know the book, yeah. I have the book, actually. Do not talk about the book. Focus on the Phantom or else. Okay, I guess we're, okay, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk the about vo- the book. The voice doesn't want us to talk the, about the The voice book. told us not to talk about the book. The Phantom doesn't want the book. The Phantom can't read. So it's the Phantom. <laughs> it might be. It's I don't know. It's a reasonable assumption. Oh, you know, I'm kind of down with the Phantom if he's not down with a thousand and one movies you should see before you die. <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom take, taking bold shots this episode. The Phantom hates Pepe Lamoco. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask: like, did this like plant any kind of seed that you would like to explore other silent films or silent horror, in the very least? Yeah, I'd be curious too. The thing is, just I feel like I have relatively limited time day to day to like mm-hmm. get to movies in general, especially outside of this show. So I think I I don't think this is gonna make me like prioritize silent film over anything else. Um, but it's certainly on my radar. It's not something I'm opposed to seeing more of. I can I can certainly say that. Um, I just don't know if if I'm necessarily going to go on a binge of it all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that's totally. I mean, that's totally fair. But there's there's just like such like a such a wealth. And around this time of year, when things start getting spooky, I mean, in local theaters, some of the most memorable October. Yeah, some of the most memorable sort of movie going experiences I've had locally is when you get like an orchestra to like a company movie. And I went to see Nosferatu with a few friends, like the 1922 film by F. W. Murnau. And right. we also we also I saw like the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari with my mother at the Mayfair, and they had a score with like the theremin. Uh, Ooh, so it was fucking cool. I've never even seen a theremin in person. That would be sick. Yeah, but it was really cool with that kind of a a movie. And so, you know, there's there's plenty of like viewing opportunities this time of year to sort of see it with where they make it into an event and they they incorporate like musicians from the community and and they elevate it from sort of older status and sort of make it more contemporary with contemporary music and people performing and it as a performance as an exercise it's really interesting um so they're always they're always playing this time of year so you know something to seek out because there's so many good silent horrors that you that you can find playing now yeah totally yeah 10 out of 10 recommend you doing that (laughs) yeah i would say i don't know if i have i don't know if i have anything else i I feel like i need to get to about this movie that's not to disparage it in any way I, i just feel like i've i've got what i've got (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean uh i'm i'm glad you watched it i'm glad i found a way i'm glad i watched it too like you know i'm i'm i I by no means feel like my time was wasted or anything like Uh and i i think it's i think like it it might be my favorite adaptation of phantom of the opera period uh which is a wild take maybe it's a take you would expect from me because it's the oldest one <laughs> um but i i think for my money it is because the one from 43 with claude rains it's all right they do the whole backstory of this cursed music musician who gets attacked with a vat of acid or a, in his face and um and then you know you have like other sort of more colorful adaptations like phantom of the paradise by brian de palma or you've got uh opera 1985 or 86 by by dario argento which is a Mm -hmm. that movie fucking rules i wish i you know there might be a way that i can like shoehorn that in because it's not like a real adaptation but it kind of is so like maybe we could maybe we could shoehorn that into the show sometime um and then again i've i actually saw like the the stage production like in london i had been awake for like 50 hours and it was in like this really old theater. I can't remember which one, but we were like up in like the nosebleeds where like I could only see like a, th- a third of the stage. <laughs> and oh my I God. Was, I was like falling asleep and like I desperately had to get like two cups of black coffee during intermission because I didn't want to miss it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was great. 
getting the uh the perspective of the proletariat with that one falling asleep in the nosebleeds trying oh, to yeah. stay awake like this was an old theater like classism was rife when it was built and like they, <laughs> they were coming around and renting you opera glasses so you could like peer over and see it <laughs> so uh, you could try to see what's going on on stage yeah like when they dropped the, the sequence when they dropped the chandelier in that musical i was like above the chandelier when it dropped so i saw like i saw like the mechanics like <laughs> telegraphing that one from a mile away that's so funny but for my money this is one of the better adaptations and i i urge all listeners to seek it out even though it might be a bit daunting um and silent film is might not be your bag but who knows like you might learn that it could be a very rewarding journey and for me it has been like my you know goings and watching silent movie that's been very rewarding it's a different medium but it's a lot of fun you gotta get out of your comfort zone Mm-hmm. people oh shit black lake before we go this movie has one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life okay so uh um eric eric yeah eric uh eric knows, the ghost eric the ghost knows that uh they're on to him right the you know raul and the cop are like coming and uh raul's brother is checking on him and he's like oh fuck my cat alarm is going off i need to do something um so he goes up to the wall and he just grabs like a big like thing that looks like a stick or maybe like a I thought it might have been a sheathed sword or maybe some kind of cane weapon and I'm like oh is he going to go like fuck up Raul's brother yeah, and he's sword. he's holding he's holding this thing in his hand whatever it is and um he goes to the water uh the boat isn't there so he just like climbs in I'm like okay is he going to what's 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 going on and he, and he and he sticks he grabs the stick and he and he points it up and he puts it in his mouth and he very slowly submerges under the water and is snorkeling to go fuck up this dude. And it's one of it's the least ready I've ever been for something like that in a movie. Like I It is really uncalled for. Sat me in a room for a decade, and I never would have thought of the Phantom of the Opera goes snorkeling to go kill somebody's brother <laughs> in a <laughs> on, in, a, in a subterranean lake. river sticks beneath the yeah. Paris Opera. And he just casually like yeah. swims back like nothing happened. It's like what up? Just yeah, there, there there's like just so many kind of like funny things like oh, that when you're awesome. watching old movies. There's lots of lots of good gems like that. I also like I want to get your opinion on the score because I know we we like touched on it briefly but like did you find that the score like worked well or were there moments in watching the movie like when the score swelled that you like appreciated the movie more because of it I do think it generally worked well to be honest the thing that sticks out to me is like there are like motifs or like themes throughout it repeat a lot Don Juan the triumphant Um, yeah Honestly, at a certain point, like this is by no means me saying that the music is bad in any mm. meaningful way, but the thing that I remember most is there were points where I was just like, "Ah, we're playing this part again." Like, <laughs> like when it, it kind of loops quite a bit. When Carlotta's mom is like comes back and it's got like that, <laughs> like yeah, 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 that yeah. one. That um, one. But like, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't dislike it at all. But the thing I remember about it is the fact that I, there were scenes where I was like, and the music has returned to this part of the score. True. I don't know. I really love this score. Like, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I just think it didn't stick with me in quite the same way that some others have, at least on this show in the past yeah. at all, for sure. We were talking about like wild reviews, and there is a really great one that I found on Wikipedia. Hit me. So, so time praised the film, the praise the sets, but felt that the picture was quote unquote only pretty good. Variety wrote, <laughs> Variety wrote, The Phantom of the Opera is not bad from a technical viewpoint, but revolving around the terrifying of all inmates of the Grand Opera House in Paris by a criminally insane mind behind a hideous face. The combination makes a Welsh rabbit look like a foolish Sorry, look foolish as a st- as a sleep destroyer. I have to tell you, Mitch. I don't know what that sentence means. I'm I don't know. Like I've been. I I've been don't know what that it. means. And it's maybe because like I I fumbled over it. But sorry, like, I, vari- hang on. Let me. T- Variety wrote the Phantom of the Opera is not a bad film from a technical viewpoint, but revolving around the terrifying of all inmates of the Grand Opera House in Paris by a criminally insane mind behind a hideous face. 
the combination makes a Welsh rarebit look foolish as a sleep destroyer. Yeah, that's what. what? I, that's what. I, do you know what? A, what? Like a, a Welsh rarebit is like a. It's like a type of like breakfast dish. Like it's what, what the fuck? It's what Reynolds Woodcock orders in Phantom Threat. <laughs> uh, the uh, Phantom of the Threat. Yeah, that's another. Uh, good I don't know Phantom what the movie. fuck that means. I don't know what that sentence means at all. I have no idea. Like I came across this and I read it like three times, and I was like, yeah, I, st- that I is, still don't that get is, it. That is uh, old timey gibberish words. Uh, a Welsh rabbit look foolish as a sleep destroyer. I'm Jasper Spearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> and Ed Murrow. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Reporting to you live from the, the the lake under the Paris Opera House. <laughs> <laughs> they made another one. <laughs> A big angry mob chased this man named Eric down the, the boulevards of Grand Paris. <laughs> He's an escapee from Devil's Island and is an expert in the black arts. You see, of course. (laughs) They may not be able to retrieve his body as it appears to have uh, melted upon hitting the water. (laughs) It's a kind of witch's corpse. (laughs) One local resident was quoted as saying, Oh. One local resident was quoting, that makes a Welsh rabbit look as foolish as a sleep destroyer. (laughs) 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 Oh, God, I can't wait to actually edit our voices to sound old. (laughs) That's going to be great. (laughs) That feels like the right place to leave it. Yeah, I'm like I'm reading more on the Wikipedia now, and I'm like, wish I had read Wikipedia before I did this. Like instead. Of- <laughs> okay, so here's our tip: after you listen to this podcast, go read the Wikipedia page. Yeah, there's just all these other allusions to great silent films by people who worked on this one, and I'm like, ah, ah. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> one resident was reported as saying. Ah! <laughs> One resident was riding down a boat down the subterranean <laughs> moat in the opera when a snorkeled goon reached out and stabbed him, and he went ah. <laughs> Local police say there is no need to fear the snorkeled goon if you are on land, <laughs> or if you do not fancy going to the opera. <laughs> Oh man, that's so good. If you do not care for the crescendo, then <laughs> the opera goon will spare your life. <laughs> I'm Bernard McConville. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with our very good old timey news reporter <laughs> voices out of the way. Uh Somebody give me Schmidt Sandwich. <laughs> do you have uh, <laughs> Um, what? What? Snit Sandwich choked on his toothpick of his club sandwich? Okay, get me Jasper Spearing instead. I'll, I'll accept Jasper, but you gotta tell him none of that funny business like last time. There's a reason he's on my list. Alright, Jasper, no more monkey business with club sandwiches. No more horsing around or I'm sending you to the stables. Jasper, listen, you're a drugstore cowboy and I want a pictures man. Um. <laughs> all right, Mitch. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Ah! <laughs> oh, the Phantom. <laughs> um. Well, thank you all uh, for listening to this episode of uh, They Slayed Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word and on a letterbox that TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everywhere else as They Made Another One. Uh, you can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and the funniest 1925 name you can think of for a news reporter. Uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. You can find Liam on Twitter and Letterboxd at Graham the Mallow. And 
I'm assuming he'll be back. It's the best we can hope for. Do not worry. That was the plan. Do not talk about Liam. Everything is fine. Do not look into this further. Everything is fine. Oh boy, the voice is back. I'm going to wrap this up, folks. Me, Twitter, Letterboxd, Mr. Corey Price, MK Podquest, Show with Neil. That's the name. Mortal Kombat stuff. You get it. Uh, and we're just going to try to, you know, come back next week in one piece. On they slayed another one.